All right, so um, if, kids, if you want to come up, I would love to talk to you for just a minute. Um, if I can dry my eyes here. <laughs> so why don't we come sit down? Is it just William today? Skylar, are you coming up? I'm going to sit with you. Hi, right, so go ahead and sit just there. Cool. Hi, what's your name? Eveline. Eveline. Is it Eveline or Evelyn? Eveline. Eveline. That's a great name. Excellent. Well, welcome, Miss Pitney. That's great. Okay, so guys. Um, oh, what are their names? <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. Well, I brought, a, I brought something. I brought a son. Okay? So, here's the son. Um, wh- can you describe him? What's the son like? Can you guys see that? <laughs> what does it look like? Silly. Silly? He's got googly eyes. What else does he have? A mustache and some eyebrows. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Here's the sun. Now, sometimes life is like a sunny day and it's going really well. Ooh, I'll show you in a minute. So sometimes life feels happy and you're like, this is going really well. I'm having a good day and you, the sun is shining. And then sometimes, sometimes dark storm clouds come. That's the best I could do on a storm cloud. Does it look like a storm cloud? Yes. Thank you. So sometimes the storm clouds come and they cover up the sun and life feels kind of hard and you're like, oh, this this is not a good day. I feel sad. So here's my question. When the storm clouds come, is the sun still there? Yes. Yes. The sun is still there, right? Can you still tell me what the sun looks like? Yes. What does he look like? Googly eyes. And a mustache. (laughs) <laughs> funky eyebrows. He does have funky eyebrows. Yeah, absolutely. So sometimes, sometimes it feels like God is really around and we're happy with God and we can see him working and helping us in our lives. The sun is like God. The sun is like God. Great job. And sometimes, right. yeah, for so many reasons. And that's why the, um, rain clouds come. Sometimes you're absolutely right. Sometimes sin makes it feel like there's a storm cloud. But sometimes hard things just happen in life, right? Sometimes life is just, it's kind of hard, kind of sad. Not every day is a good day. But guess what? Here's what I want you to remember, guys. The sun is still there. The sun is still behind the clouds, okay? So Psalm 63 is what we're going to be reading today in just a minute. And it's King David wrestling with that same idea that even when life is really hard and it feels like you're in a desert, God is still there, and God is still good. So here's the one thing I want you to remember. God does not change. Like the sun, always there, God is always there, and he never changes. So even when it doesn't feel like God is good, he still is. That's what I want you to remember, okay? Okay, now, one thing that we're we're doing, this is new. Um, We want every kid who comes in to get a gift box one time, because that's, you know, we're a church plant. <laughs> so even though y'all have, a couple of you have been here for a while, I want to make sure you guys each get a box, okay? There's just like, here, you can, you can have one, Eveline, uh, Skylar, and William. So there's just some little fun things in it. Make sure if there's anything edible, you ask your parents before you eat it. You have my permission, you're mine, um, William. <laughs> so you can take those boxes back to your seat after I pray for you in a minute. And then, um, parents, in, in the future, if you see visitors, these are going to be in the back. 
if you see visitors coming in with, with older kids, make sure that each kid gets a box because we want them to know that we really like having them here. So, whew. I actually, Norm, would you pray for the kids right now? Is that okay? Thanks. Amen. Thank you, guys. You can go back to your seats. Man. I'm always like, all right, I'm going to hold it together this Sunday, and then the kids come up. It gets me every time. Every time. Please open your Bibles to Psalm 63. We're, um, we're in the Songs of Israel series. There's two more weeks of Psalms after this, and then we're going to move into James, which will be great fun. So, Psalm 63. Let me pray as we open the Bible. Father... What we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and what we are not make us, for the sake of your Son, our Savior. Amen. Amen. All right, Psalm 63. I should probably have turned there before. (laughs) Here we go. A Psalm of David, when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life, they shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God for his word. Now at the top of the psalm, there's this inscription, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. So it's a wilderness song. I'm so glad we have wilderness songs. I wonder when the last time was that you felt that you were in a spiritual wilderness. Um, Maybe now. I didn't know when writing the sermon that I would wake up today feeling that way. Um, It can just happen sometimes. You wake up and you're in the wilderness. The people of God have spent a lot of time in the wilderness. David's wilderness, um, this reference is actually to a specific time in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 15. David was in the wilderness uh, of Judah two specific times. Once he's running from King Saul, and the second time is when he is the king and he's actually running from his son, 
Absalom. And we know that this psalm is referring to that second instance because uh, at the end it says the king shall rejoice. He's talking about himself. And in the first wilderness experience, he wasn't the king. So we're talking about when his son, Absalom, whose name ironically is the father of peace, of shalom, his son did the opposite of that and was the father of turmoil and conflict in the kingdom of Judah. His father was king and Absalom came and upended everything. He stole the hearts of the people through deception and flattery and he drove out his father in exile into the wilderness. And it says that David went barefoot and weeping. Absalom literally pitched a tent on the roof of his father's palace and went into all of his father's concubines in the sight of everybody in the ultimate power move, right, in that kingdom. Nothing could have put a bigger target on David's back than that action that Absalom did. So David then is going out in utter desolation into the wilderness, and this troop of his loyal subjects, his friends are going with him, and he's barefoot and weeping, and he's being spit upon and mocked and cursed by people along the way, which is why at the end of the psalm he says, the mouths of liars will be stopped. And something interesting happens there that's a little bit unexpected to me. David has this um, contingency of priests that are loyal to him, and they come with him into the wilderness, bringing the Ark of the Covenant with them. And David stops about halfway into this wilderness exile and says, take the Ark back. He sends the Ark of the Covenant back to the sanctuary where it belongs. Just file that away for later. We'll talk about that. So this was a really desolate moment for David. But in Psalm 63, it's like the the record of the path that he found back to joy in the Lord. And David's path back to joy in the Lord is our path back to joy in the Lord when we are in the wilderness. So I'm going to focus on verses 1 to 4, just that first chunk And the first point this morning is from verse 1. So point number one, if you take notes, thirsting for God. Thirsting for God. Let me read verse 1 again. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. All right, so put yourself in David's shoes. You're in the wilderness You're exiled from your kingdom, from all your comforts. Your family is, you know, awful at this point. You're in David's shoes. What do you long for? What do you really want? I want my family back. I want my palace back. I want my kingdom back. In that wilderness, David says, I want God. Beneath all the turmoil of his circumstances, David feels distant from God. David feels spiritually empty. And the lack of the felt presence of God, the lack of the felt experience of the love of God, rises to the surface above all the other lack that he suffers, and it trumps them all. He says, yeah, my circumstances are not great, but below all that, what I really want is God. The yearning below all his yearnings is for his soul to be satisfied in God. You and I are no different. 
I don't know what circumstances you're in right now or what your life is like. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's totally upended. But none of us will be satisfied by a change in our circumstances. That's not what's going to bring us joy and satisfaction. Our souls will only be truly satisfied in God. David knows that. He says, I have a soul thirst for God. Now, note the first words of verse 1. This is really interesting. David, uh, it was interesting to me. I hope it's interesting to you. David, before he says, I thirst for God, he says, I belong to God. Do you see that? Oh God, you are my God. Belonging. When we truly belong to somebody and they to us, then we can truly long for them. When we truly belong to somebody, then we truly long for them. Uh, If you've worked in the nursery here or at any church, you know exactly what I mean. You've got the baby who is inconsolable. And you could be very comforting and very gentle and fun, but you're not mom, right? <laughs> that child wants mom because belongs to her and she to that child, right? Belonging and longing go together and no one else will do. In an ideal marriage, one spouse aches for another spouse and no one else will do because they belong to each other in the covenant of marriage. So David picks up that language of covenant where he says, God says in, um, in Genesis and, and Exodus and Deuteronomy, every time he talks about the covenant, it seems like he's saying, I will be their God and they will be my people. In other words, covenantal language is God saying, I belong to you and you belong to me. And David picks up that language of the covenant, says, oh God, you are my God. Our souls thirst for God because we belong to him. He's our God. We are his people. And our souls were made to be satisfied in God like our throats were made to be satisfied with water. That's the image he's pulling out. In fact, in Hebrew, the word soul is nefesh. It means your throat, very literally. He's saying, my throat, my neck thirsts for God. And if you belong to God and he belongs to you, that is, if you're in Christ, then the longing below all of your longings is ultimately him. And you might not experience it that way, That's why the Bible has to tell us it's true, (laughs) right? We don't naturally go, oh, surely all my circumstances don't matter. It's God that I really want. We're like, no, we want circumstances to change. I actually want that. This is hard, right? I want a car that runs or whatever the thing is. But the Bible confronts that and reshapes our experience of reality and what we know to say what lies below all of your desire is God. No one else will do. For those who are not in Christ yet, who don't belong to God covenantally, their heart still craves him too. But it's different. They don't know it. They're not aware of that craving. It's like a person who's grown up on a poor Western diet and they crave a Dr. Pepper when they're thirsty. They don't maybe know that the thing that they really crave is water. The Dr. Pepper won't. 
I don't know why I chose that one soda, but you know, the things that uh, dehydrate us will ultimately not help us. What we really need is hydration. What we need is water. So our, th- our souls thirst for God because we belong to God and our souls thirst for God because only he can satisfy. I remember it was maybe 10 years ago, Beck and I had a season of life where we watched Law & Order a lot, right? Um, to, the, to the extent that our neighbor down below could always remark when she, she heard the like, gum, gum, you know? <laughs> you know that sound? Oh, dear. Um, so, you know, one night, this was before kids, we were, um, we were watching Law & Order, and Becca turned to me, and she's like, I, we, I need a Big Mac. <laughs> now, if you know Becca, that is not, like, she has not uttered those words more than, like, twice in her life. We don't do a lot of fast food, but we, we had this craving for a Big Mac. So I went to McDonald's, and I brought back, you know, the, the, the meal, the Big Mac, and the fries, and we gobbled it up thinking this is going to satisfy, we've got the show, we've got the Big Mac, and we felt horrible, horrible. Like the salt, y'all, the salt they put in that stuff will just suck you dry. So it did not satisfy our craving. It left us feeling gross and just blah. You probably know the feeling. And all of our longings, when we satisfy them with the things of this world, do that to us. All of them. So if we just skim the surface of our cravings and try to satisfy with those obvious surface level things, it's going to leave us empty. We're going to feel like a salt block afterwards. We have to go below the surface to the longing below our longings and see that Jesus is what we need. God is who we really are longing for. Let's finish verse one. David says, I'll just read the whole verse again. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So David's looking around, apparently writing poetry, um, which is what he does when he's sad and when he's happy, which is cool. And David notices that his environment reflects his inner reality. He's in the wilderness of Judah and it's a dry and weary place. And he's like, yeah, I feel inside like this place looks on the outside. You know, if you've seen ground that's cracked, you know, like not just in movies, if you've walked on the sort of ground that's dry and dusty with the big cracks in it and stuff, um, the word parched is the best word for that, in my opinion. The ground is just parched, and it needs water. And you can drench the dust in Dr. Pepper, like you can drench your souls with lesser delights, but nothing but water will quench. Nothing. Our souls need God like that, like parched ground. Nothing else will do. In his confessions, Augustine, who knew this truth well from experience and from scripture, uh, this was about 1,700 years ago, he wrote this, you mo- he's praying to God in, in the confessions. He says, you move us to delight in praising you, for you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Some of the truest words ever written outside the Bible. You move us to delight in praising you, for you have made us for yourself, that's the belonging, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. 
God is telling us today that the emptiness of soul and the restlessness of heart that we feel has one and only one answer. And you can feel better for a moment by distracting yourself with entertainment, uh, friends, drugs, pornography, theology books. But there is no substitute, none, for a real taste of the love of God. That's what we need to drink deeply from. You, I mean, the, the, the brilliance of this is, it, it's not saying there is no satisfaction for you. It's saying, no, you can be satisfied. Right. You can have joy. That's actually possible. I feel like that's been the theme of this last three weeks. Joy is possible. We don't have to be desolate of soul. But we have to find the source of joy. We have to go to God. So number two, that's number one, thirsting for God. Number two, rejoicing in God. Let me read verse three. I'm going to skip verse two, and we're going to come back to that at the end. So we're jumping from verse one to verses three and four. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. So David starts this psalm by thirsting for God, and he ends this section, this first section of the psalm, by rejoicing in God. And one commentator put it this way. He said, the soul finds no greater satisfaction in life than that which it tastes as it drinks deeply of the love of God. Drinking deeply from the love of God. So if it's a hot summer day, give it a week and it will be. Uh, and you're out doing yard work on a Saturday and you're just sweaty and hot and tired and thirsty, right? You come in, you pour a big glass of water, you drink it all in one gulp, and the most natural reaction in the world to experiencing that cold, deep drink of water is, William knows this, is to go, ah, right? <laughs> That's the most natural thing in the world when our thirst has been quenched. And once we have acknowledged our thirst and drunk deeply from the love of God, the most natural thing in the world, my lips will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live. It's our soul bursting forth with a ah in God. That was good. That quenched my thirst. Praise is more than just the, the mental acknowledgement of worthiness, right? I was always taught that the word worship came from worth-ship in Old English, and it was just giving God what is his due. That's true. That's true. That's just not the, um, it's not gone far enough. Praise is more than just acknowledging someone's worthiness. It's actually the consummation of joy. So we have not actually really enjoyed something until we've praised it. C.S. Lewis helps us understand this. Um, I'm going to read, it's a bit of a lengthy quote, but it's C.S. Lewis, I'm not sorry. He says, All enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise, unless shyness or the fear of boring others is deliberately brought in to check it. The world rings with praise, lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. 
except where intolerably adverse circumstances interfere, praise almost seems to be inner health made audible. I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? We've not really enjoyed something until that inner health, that inner joy is made audible and external until we've praised it and invited others into that, which is what David's doing here. When he says, my lips will praise you, he's the song leader of Israel. He's saying, won't you praise him too? Isn't he good? So our thirst for God leads us to joy in God. And our joy in God is incomplete until it's expressed in praise of God. So he went from thirsting to rejoicing. Now, did his circumstances immediately change? No. He's in the wilderness still. Eventually, God rescued him from that. But in this psalm, it's a wilderness psalm. And all of the redemption or the the rescue is future-oriented in David's mind. The king will praise you. The king will rejoice in God. But what did change, not his circumstances, it was his experience of the presence of God. It was the experience of the steadfast love of the Lord. And so David completes his joy by committing to praise and bless God. He says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. The very lips that were parched with thirst in verse 1 are praising God in verse 3. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I lift up my hands. Now later in verse 8 he says, My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. David lifts his hands to bless God because he's in God's hands. So longing flows from belonging, but praise flows from belonging too. Now, as a bit of a sidebar, what does it mean to bless God? That's not a turn of phrase we use terribly often. I suppose more in the South than other places like Washington, where I grew up. But so biblically, when we are blessed, when we receive blessing, we are strengthened. We are are added to, right? Um, God, of course, cannot be added to or strengthened. He is entirely glorious and perfect and self-sufficient. So uh, he, he already is blessed. He is the blessed one, right? So therefore, to bless God means to align our hearts and lives with what is already true about God. We bring ourselves to acknowledge his blessedness, to acknowledge his power and glory and align ourselves with it, not to add to it. So we bless God because we were thirsty, And he satisfies. So we bless God. We bless him by saying, only you can satisfy. Rejoicing in God by praising him and by blessing him is an absolutely crucial part of the Christian life, not just church on Sunday mornings. Because your joy in God will always be incomplete in your experience until it is expressed in praise until you take what you know to be true about God and align your soul with it and praise and bless him for that. 
So we've covered thirsting for God on one end and rejoicing in God. So you get from a place of desolation to a a place of joy and praise. The question is, how did he get there? Right? How did he get from there to there? Because we want to be here in the rejoicing place, not here in the wilderness experience place. How do we get from thirst to there? So point number three, my last point, beholding God. I'm going to read verses one and two. And we'll focus on verse 2. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. That verse is the key to the psalm. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. So what did David do with his thirst? He took it to the sanctuary. So, um, of course, he's, he's exiled. Uh, so he doesn't have the sanctuary with him. What do we do with that? Well, the, the sanctuary was the Holy of Holies. It was the heart of the tent of meeting that they had set up. This was before the temple was built in Jerusalem. It was that special place thick with God's presence where there was a yearly offering for atonement. And remember, when David was exiled, he sent the ark back. The ark of the covenant lived in the sanctuary. That was its place. That was where it belonged. And they sent the ark with David, and he said, nope, put it back in the sanctuary. That's where it should be. So in reality, David says, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, but he's far from the sanctuary. And he's far from the ark. He wasn't actually at the sanctuary. This is my point. He was remembering the sanctuary. This is made clear by two things. First, the verb tense. He says, I have looked, past tense, upon you in the sanctuary. And second, by the parallel verses later in this psalm. This is verses 5 and 6. The psalm structure is such that you can take the first two chunks and line them up side by side in a way, and the ideas rhyme across the two chunks. I don't know if that makes sense. But there's a parallel section uh, to looking upon you in the sanctuary. It says this, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. That's what he did with his thirst. On the long, weary watches of the night in the wilderness, waiting for the sunrise, waiting for some light, he reflected on God. He reflected on past experiences of the power and glory of God. I read an article this week from Tufts University in Boston. It was about food cravings and memory. Um, I, I put the quote in, I'm not going to read it, but their point was essentially uh, the, the way that food cravings work is it's tied to the part of our brain that uh, vivid memory works from. And so they did studies that found, um, a different university did a study that said so when someone's experiencing an intense food craving, if you picture a vivid image in your mind, like a stunning rainbow in detail, it overwhelms the craving, the craving kind of vanishes and leaves you with this other thing. And my point in saying that is just that memory is a powerful thing. It's designed by God to be connected to what we long for. You can only long for what you know and remember. 
You can't long for something that you don't know, right? So when David craves God, when he experiences soul thirst, he goes to memory and reflection. He remembers. He grabs his soul and he drags it into his living memory of beholding the power and glory of God in the sanctuary. He says, we've seen this, soul. (laughs) You and I have been there. We've seen the priest go in on the Day of Atonement and offer this blood on the mercy seat of the ark that would reconcile a sinful, weak people back to the God who loves them. I've seen your power and glory. Inside the ark were three main things. Um, if you'll recall, there's the, the stone tablets that the law were written on and given to Moses. Those go, the second set, uh, go in the ark because they broke the first one. So the law of Moses is there. It's a reminder of how they keep breaking the law. The second thing in the ark is a jar of manna, a reminder of their grumbling in the wilderness and their failure to trust God's provision. And the third thing is the the budding staff of Aaron, a reminder of their rejection of God's priest and ultimately God's rule. So in other words, the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies, in the sanctuary, was an enshrining of the failures of God's people. But on the lid of the Ark, between the cherubim, was what came to be called the mercy seat. And that's where they poured the blood of the sacrifices covering the failings of God's people. And they were atoned. They were forgiven. They were reconciled to God. And that's where David beheld the power and glory. The power and glory of God is the atonement. That's what happens in the sanctuary. God's power and glory are his ability and willingness to forgive the sins of his people and reconcile them to himself forever. So we, you know, when we're in our wilderness, we can't go to the sanctuary. We've never seen it. We have not stood in the shadow of the tent of meeting to see the ark, but we've stood in the shadow of the cross. And we've seen with the eyes of our soul, Jesus the Lamb of God, given for the sins of the world. We do not need a yearly sacrifice on the mercy seat because we have a once-for-all sacrifice in Christ. When we see David's greater son, Jesus, crucified and raised from the dead for our forgiveness and for our reconciliation to God, then we behold his power and glory. If you think to yourself, I mean, I wrote this sermon, and I woke up in the wilderness, and I had to drag my soul, and I had to ask the real question, all right, how do I do this? (laughs) It's nice to say, if I can really see Jesus and his love on the cross, then I'll behold his power and glory, and I can praise him with joy. How do you do it? Um, I went to John 3, and I went to 1 Corinthians 3 and 4, and 1 Peter 1, and I soaked in the gospel presented in those passages. Um, Those are some great passages for that, particularly John 3 and 1 Peter 1. If you feel like you need to soak in the gospel a little bit too, there's a lot of places to go. Another place you can go is church. 
here's a room full of people who were once dead. Yeah. So what, yeah. We will never be able to say in our wilderness, I want God more than circumstance change until you see how much he wants you. He did something about it. Um, John 3.16, common misperception. When it says, for God so loved the world, it doesn't mean God loved the world so much. It says, it's actually more technical. It says, God loved the world in this way. You want to know how much God loves you? Here it is. He sent his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. And if that's who God was then, when the storm clouds roll over the face of the sun, that's who he is now too. When those storm clouds come over life, when we're in the wilderness, we drag our thirsty souls to the cross. And we say to our souls, there is our satisfaction. Right there. If you're thirsty, go have a drink. And you can come up as we close. When we see and savor the power and the glory of God on full display in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then our joy has to find its ultimate expression in praise. And we'll say with the psalmist, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live, even in the wilderness. Let's bless the Lord now in prayer. Father, I, um, we have drunk deeply of your love. And um, I feel that you've ministered to me personally uh, in this church service, which you didn't have to do, and it was kind of you. Um, and I feel refreshed, and I bless you for that. And I pray that every ounce of refreshment we feel, having drunk deeply from the love of God, that you will teach us to turn that into a song. Help our hearts to worship you and to complete our joy in you. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your power to save. We thank you for your glory, that your holiness is something that you put on display. You do something about it. We thank you for your love. We bless you for sending your son. You didn't have to do that for us. I can't even believe it. Bless you, Father. Amen. Let's stand as we worship and bless the Lord.